This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. We are reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Um, We thank you for who you are, that you are three in one, Lord. Um, We thank you for your word. Pray over Andrew um, as he preaches preaches to us today that uh, you just speak through him, Lord. We love you and praise us in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lainey. You guys can be seated. Um, It's good to, wow, good to follow that. Uh, We could have just stayed in that moment of worship for the rest of the time for for what my heart considers. Um, It it was, it's just, and we get moments like that. I go back to a couple years ago, and I know we all endured the pandemic, and we all endured um, the isolation, but I think of all the things that I missed. It was gathering with people, like being one in song and in praise of just like being just cheered on by the person left and right from me. And, and I just, it was cool to experience that today. And, and not just for, it's really not about us. It was cool to be able really to just see Jesus high and lifted up and to worship him um, in the small semblance of way that we can join in with the chorus of angels and the chorus of millions that are seeing him as worthy today. And um, so I just want to thank you for, for, and just, taking us there obediently this morning. Um, Some of you guys may be unaware, but today we celebrate six years in this building. Today, yeah. So happy, happy birthday, Comp City. Um, We're actually, this is not a joke, we're actually going to have cake after the service in between. We've got like sheet cakes and stuff out there, and so let's, you know, uh, enjoy ourselves and try to limit ourselves to four pieces. No, I'm just kidding. You know, try to limit ourselves to some cake. Uh, we're having great ideas, Continue, people are calling, they're wanting the cake so bad to, to come and join. Um, but it is, and part of, part of our time together today is we're going to actually be looking back at, at ways that grace and peace has been multiplied to us over these six years. And, um, we really view this as an anniversary, and there was a lot more story leading up. There was a, a two, really a combination of two churches that merged in, into this space six years ago today with a heart and a vision for campus. And we quickly saw those two smaller communities become the minorities to new people that the Lord started to add among us. And it's just kind of been a, a roller coaster ever since. And um, I think collectively, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people here, we've been blown away to see God's faithfulness to us in six years here, uh, to see stories of redemption and testimonies here. And again, I said, we'll mention some of those. Um, if you're new with us, we're starting on a new series in First Peter. We'll be in it indefinitely. Who knows how long it's going to take us to get through it. We're covering two verses today. Uh, so we'll go through it pretty slow and methodical. Uh, we'll get through it some this semester. It'll certainly go into next semester. We'll break for Advent. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been talking about servants and specifically deacons. In fact, last week we, we encouraged all of those that call Commonwealth City Church home uh, to take part in the beginning of nominating 
servants among us that we would call deacons or deaconesses among us to walk in that a little more um, purposefully with a little bit more of a plan or a little bit more of a purpose, a little bit more of intentionality. If you are like, I'd like to know more about this, you can listen to the last three weeks of podcasts. We sent out, um, I think there's some stuff on our social media. We sent out some stuff, our social media handles at Com City Church. Um, there's some stuff that's going out through our newsletter. If you're not signed up with that, there's ways to connect at the connect table outside. But we've got a ton of resources for you on what um, deacons look like. And we are opening nominations here for deacon ministry through December, or I'm sorry, the, sorry, through September the 10th. So just a few weeks, and then we'll start to have some of those conversations with people and, and start to see uh, what steps forward look like with that. We've already seen a lot come in. It's been blessing my heart to see uh, people that, that uh, are just recognized among us as people that serve and, and carry the title of servant. Um, and so we're going to be doing that through, through September the 10th, which is just two weeks. So we're excited to join this new series. We've been excited about where we've been this summer with Psalms and with talking about servants and deacons. Um, but I have really been fired up to be in First Peter. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I absolutely love this book, and um, we're excited to dive into it. So, so let's look today. Let's look today together. We, Lainey was, was faithful to read us and invite us into the text this morning, so thank you for doing that. But I just want to start off right out 1-1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is an important title for him to carry. It is a title that he's probably proud of because, you know, for us, the, the office of apostle seems like very official and very authoritative. And certainly, certainly, the apostle Peter gets to walk in an authority that, that encourages and exhorts and, and, and challenges and, 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 you know, inspires those that follow Jesus. Certainly, he gets to do that. But really, I think for him to be proud of that title, what we recognize as apostle is it's people that have spent time with Jesus. And I think Peter was so proud of the time he got to spend with Jesus. So proud of the friendship he had with him. So proud that Jesus found him once a fisherman and brought him to be a faithful one. Um, and, and so we see them, him declare this, I'm an apostle of Jesus right out of the gate. Now, I love the apostle Peter. I, I do, because I feel like he's gritty. You know, I feel like he's, he's a little rough around the edges. And there's something about him that I feel like for most people feels relatable. You know, and some of us, we might think we're bolder than we are, so we relate to the boldness of Simon Peter. Like, yeah, we would say that. We might never actually say that, but we think we might say that. Or, or for some of us, we are aware of our foolishness, which Simon Peter also had. He said a lot of things, and sometimes with his foot in his mouth, right? Like, he said a lot of things throughout. If you, if you don't know much about the story of Simon Peter, I encourage you to read through the Gospels, and specifically maybe the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest one, so that's easy, easier for you. Um, but it's also the one that probably has his perspective the most, as John Mark, the author, would have written primarily from the perspective of, of Simon Peter. Um, I listened to a sermon not too long ago talking about the life of Peter, and it really just got me excited for this series. I want to give you some of these insights. He was one of the first called disciples. He left everything. He left everything. He, he's one of the few or the only one other than Jesus that got to get out of the boat and physically walk on water, just going through some of the things he experienced. He got to see the Mount of Transfiguration happen. Um, he was once a fisherman. Notice I said was once. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus meets him for the first time. And he, you know the story. He had come in from a long night of fishing and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus sends him back out to throw your nets there you know, like Jesus is the ultimate little fish finder and throws his nets in and his nets come in breaking and Peter's so overwhelmed by what is happening. Jesus says, I want to make you follow me. I want to make you a fisherman. And he leaves his nets and all the, all the fish and just leaves and goes and follows 
Jesus. I, I love that phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's our story. Follow Jesus and he will make us to be something that we could have never been separate from him. He is, is the instrument that makes us and transforms us. And so when you look at Peter, he was once a fisherman. And I think that brings us to a little application point. What were you once before you are who you are now? Who were you once? What life did you previously have? And, and who was the old you? And now we get to see who has God made you to be today? And who is he making you to be even until tomorrow? Let's not ever forget our transformation. Let's not ever forget it. He was with Jesus in the garden. In fact, Peter's the guy that cut off a guy's ear that was storming after Jesus and then saw Jesus put it back on the guy's head. You know, the perfect, perfect restorative doctor. Um, he, he told Jesus he would never deny him and then promptly that night denied him, right? But that was a lead-in for Peter to have one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible dedicated to him, which is John 21. Uh, I say all the time that every single one of us that follow Jesus have a John 21 in our book. And that's the moment where we get to encounter the risen Christ and to be restored for all the ways that our life did not display the truth of the gospel, but yet restored in a way that transforms us. Fifty days after this restoration on the beach in John 21, Peter is newly filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches and 3,000 people are saved. It's a pretty big experience for him. Can you imagine what that, what that felt like? He walks in so much boldness through the book of Acts. In Acts 5.28, says that he's taken before the council and it says uh, before them, it says, we strictly charged you not to speak of Jesus. And yet here you are having filled the entire city of Jerusalem with the message of Christ. Time out a minute. Has that ever been said of you that you, you respond, you personally have filled your whole city with the message of the gospel? Think about that. He gets called before the government essentially, and they're mad that everybody in Jerusalem knows the good news of Jesus. Gosh, may that be said of us. May that be said of us. He perseveres in spite of growing persecution all around him. In fact, this book has written uh, many scholars, and I would also believe this book is written on kind of the, the looming um, coming persecution and ultimately even his martyrdom as he faces that. He preaches and encourages and gets to see the growth of the early church through the book of Acts and into the first century. He dies as a martyr in Rome. What a great man. And Peter, as, as he carries this, apostle, this title of apostle, he's speaking with authority to us, with Holy Spirit authority to us, and he goes right in in 1 Peter 1.1. He says, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those that are the elect exiles. That's where we're going to hang out for a little bit today, the elect exiles. The word elect, your translations might have different things. It could say chosen, could say saved, it could say those that, be, you know, that belong. But, but essentially, the, the concept of, of being elect is, is really belonging to the faith. That's what I mean. So those that belong to the faith that are exiles in Asia. And really, he's speaking of modern-day Turkey. Uh, and then he goes on to say, he goes on to say that uh, you, you are saved, really, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. Did you notice that? When Peter gets the moment to, to start the letter to, the, to those that are... Uh, that are elect exiles, he says, I want to remind you of your identity. And your identity is found in God the Father, your identity is found in God the Son, and your identity is found in God the Holy Spirit. Why is it important for him to give us a total understanding of our own God-saturated salvation? And here's why. Is that everything God is, everything, everything that he is, Father, Spirit, and Son, everything was committed to your salvation. 
Everything. Everything that he is as a father, everything he is as the spirit, and everything he is as the son was committed to your rescue and to your redemption for the glory of his own name and the glory of his own fame. And we might think our life is mundane at times. We might think it's trivial. We might think it's routine. But I just want to remind you that every second of your day, every facet of your life, and every atom and every cell of your body has the fullness of God committed to it. Every second of your day, every facet of your life, every cell in your body has the fullness of God committed to it. The world is full of rejection. It's full of rejection. But this is a verse that reminds us of our eternal belonging with Jesus, that we are divinely chosen by the grace of God. He picks me and you. He picks us. All of God, all of him, everything we know about him committed to choosing you. You've been saved so that you might even embody and feel that forgiveness. You notice that verse says, by the sprinkling of his blood, the death of Jesus is applied to your life daily. doesn't mean that, that it's required for you to walk in righteousness daily. We don't kill Jesus over and over and over again, but his death is applied to your life daily that you might walk in righteousness. You've been saved to follow him, to obey him. You've been saved to look like him, to be sanctified. And you've been saved because God the Father wanted a family for you to belong to. And when God saves you, he doesn't just transform your life. He also transforms your address as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, if we were to go down, and we'll get there in a few weeks, maybe a month, something like that. It says, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. So this concept of elect exiles, one, we understand our belonging. We understand what it means to belong to the faith. But the second is, we have to understand this concept of being an exile. An exile is someone who is is a foreigner or a stranger or an alien. Some translations might even say aliens. Now, in today's um, in today's world, when we say aliens, we think of like Area 51 and conspiracy theories. Okay, I get it. Or like Green Martian Men, right? Or Jiggy, our faithful mascot that we see around sometimes, you know, via Matt Hogg and through people like Hayden and Luke and JR and people that have been part of Team Jiggy over the years. But, but the concept of alien is somebody that's from another place that's temporarily here. And this is, this is why I say that this book was written contextually to the exiles around what is now modern-day Turkey and, and Eastern Europe and, and Western Asia. It was certainly written to them, but it also is written to us as modern-day exiles in whatever nation we happen to be reading this book. We're reading it in America, but whatever nation we happen to be reading this book, and it has present-day relevance. Why? For these verses right here. Hebrews eleven thirteen, talking about the hall of faith. This is the hall of faith chapter in the Bible. And, and, and the author of Hebrews is saying, all these that were faithful, they died not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So are we. We're strangers and exiles on this earth. Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no lasting city. One day Lexington's going to crumble. One day Washington, D.C. is going to crumble. New York City is going to crumble. One day London's going to crumble. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In Philippians 3.20, Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are exiles, and the way, the reason that we start this verse off, to start this chapter off, start this study off with our understanding of exiles is because the Lord intends us to understand our relationship both to God and to the world through the lens of being an exile. There's a pastor in North Carolina at a church called The Summit, a guy named J.D. Greer, a uh, guy that I, I enjoy his teachings and writings. He used to be the 
uh, served for two terms as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention not long ago. He might have been in the news somewhere around that. He actually served in a pretty tumultuous time in Southern Baptist life, which seems to be all the time. Um, but but he, he was able to give just really, really good leadership uh, among a, a season that was, that was kind of difficult. And he, he preached a sermon on First Peter, and I was able to listen to it and, and read some of it. And he talked about uh, when it comes to living in a country that you're not part of, we're one of three types of people. Uh, I want to show you these. They'll be on the screen in, in words, but I, I want to read these to you that he wrote. The first is, you can be, if you live in a country that maybe is not your home country, you can be an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who seeks to make this new country their permanent home. They're not from there, but they want this new country to be their home. And that's what a lot of Christians do with the world. They might know in their minds that they're citizens of heaven. Know in their minds they're citizens of heaven, but they treat this world as if it's where they really want to live. So they leverage most of their resources to make a comfortable life here. They obsess about their reputation. They stress about what they do and don't have. Um, they ask questions like, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to achieve enough? Am I ever going to accomplish enough? Am I ever going to earn enough? Will I or my family live a life void of stress? Is my ship ever going to come in? Is I going to get my opportunity? Why is my life here so hard? There's so much more to this life that I haven't experienced yet that I want to get to experience. These are the questions that an immigrant might have. An immigrant wants to fully integrate and assimilate to their new country of residence and to have the most comfortable life possible. And I want to be clear, I know this is not the story of like actual citizen immigration, okay? And I don't want to, I don't want to like, you might have that in your family or have that in your history. I don't want to undermine that or like, you know, demean that in any way. I'm using this as a, as a teaching point today. Uh, an immigrant is essentially wants to fully integrate and assimilate to their new country of residence and have the most comfortable life there possible. Maybe a life they couldn't have had in the country that they're fleeing from or the country that they're maybe in refuge from. That's the life of an immigrant. As a follower of Jesus, we're not called to be immigrants to the countries we live in in, in the world, whether it's the United States or, or in Africa or in Asia or in South America or in Europe. We're not called to be immigrants there. Option two, one way that people interact with a country that they don't live in is as a tourist. A tourist is the exact opposite of an immigrant. They don't actually want to live in this new country at all. They're just visiting. They don't form any real connections to the place, but they stay huddled in their groups. You ever seen tourist groups walk around a, a country that, that maybe they're not from? They stay huddled in their groups. Uh, even while you're visiting, they speak their own language. They don't speak the language of the country. They speak their own language and expect their own language to be spoken to them. They want to eat their kind of food. They want to stay in Western-style hotels, and they complain when they can't find a Starbucks on every street corner. If there's a political or social problem or injustice going on in that society or culture, it actually doesn't concern them because they don't have any connection to the place long term. This is also an attitude some Christians have towards our world. They stay isolated and never get involved. They feel no real connection with the community around them or its problems. And they just kind of sit around. J.D. Greer said, and I quote, hanging out with Kirk Cameron waiting for their rapture to come. <laughs> this is an unbiblical posture as well. This is also an unbiblical posture. But the third option that Peter talks about here is what we're shooting for, and that's to be an exile. An exile is someone whose home is somewhere else, but for an undefined, undefined amount of time, they have to make their home a new place. If you need some biblical background to this, go read Jeremiah 29. Actually, read Jeremiah 1 through 29 for probably a greater context. Um, they invest in this new community. They form relationships. They learn the culture. They learn the language. But they don't get too attached because all the while, they're looking for the day that they actually get to go to their real home. Christians who live as exiles are not focused on owning a lot because their real home is elsewhere. 
They're not focused on um, all that they can achieve on this side of eternity because their real home is elsewhere. They're not focused on uh, being satisfied with just enough to get by. They are, they are satisfied with just enough to get by because the thing they really treasure belongs somewhere else. It's like when you're at an airport. You usually have these little shops that will sell you extremely overpriced um, you know, items or, or, or snacks or things like that, extremely overpriced, so that your comfort in your transition, right, your comfort in your travels, your comfort in your layover can be as, as much as possible. But you know what you never see in the airport stores? Grocery carts. You ever notice that? There's no shopping carts at the Hudson News in the airport and, and at the little places you stop in. Do you want to know why? Because you're not supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to load up. You're not supposed to buy things for your family in the airport convenience store. That's why there's no shopping carts. And so with us, we're not supposed to load up here as if it's our eternal and final destination. We're supposed to live in such a way that it's a temporary stop en route to our real home. Now, I know those are, those are caricatures and probably unfair caricatures of anyone that's had an experience of immigration or tourism or, or ultimately even feeling exiled. But I use that as an object lesson to say that the whole goal of following Jesus in the United States of America or whatever country you happen to live in one day, if you don't live here, is that it's a, it's a, it's a place that you are intentionally placed on mission for Jesus, but a temporary stop on your way to heaven. And that we must engage in the world in such a way that we get to see what's next in the verse. Grace and peace multiplied, not just to us, but all of life around us. So which are you? Are you an immigrant here, Christian immigrant? Are you a Christian tourist or are you a Christian and faithful exile? For those of us in the room that are striving to be exiles, and I've been all three. Probably this week I've been all three. Striving to be exiles, this book will become an encouragement to us of living with the ambas- as under the ambassadorship of heaven that we get to here. This book will be an encouragement to us. And so we want to see grace and peace multiplied. This is the last verse. Uh, part, part of the promise of being an enduring exile is experiencing this grace and peace. And the truth is, when it comes to following Jesus, grace and peace doesn't have an off switch. I mentioned six years. Been here six years. And we've gotten to experience a lot of grace and peace. Here. I'm going to kind of go through, I'll try not to get emotional as I do this, but kind of go through just a, a very brief and very overview of some six years, just looking back. Actually, was looking through, um, my girls take photos all the time. I didn't know how much photos my phone could hold. The answer is a lot, but it's getting close to the end, you know, and you get that little message and it's like, must must delete some things. So I've been like fishing back through, um, you know, my phone and looking at stuff and finding stuff, kind of fish through my Twitter stuff the other night and found some things. I just want to take us a little bit down memory lane. Six years ago this past week, Luke Warford and some others got a big idea to throw a block party to celebrate a whole neighborhood full of kids. And they threw a block party in a neglected downtown neighborhood that we had come to love and really call our own. Um, and us first is going to be, it's kind of Maybe wanna, I don't know if I can be in the dark up here, but, but uh, we might want to take the, the lights down just a little bit to be able to see that with a little more clarity. There we are in the street of Perry Street over off of Manchester Street, and um, you can't really see it with as much clarity here, but down to the left there's a tub, and we're doing baptisms in the street after throwing a block party full of inflatables and food and music and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the next photo is a story of uh, some uh, relationships with international students. This actually is a dinner um, celebrating, I believe we were celebrating very intentionally like on the calendar of Ramadan, like not eating through the day, but eating at night 
and committing the day to fast and pray, not to Allah, but to Jesus, um, that he might open doors in the Muslim cultures here in Lexington, that we might share, get to share the truth of the good news of Jesus. And then we gathered, and we gathered with friends, um, even, from, even from backgrounds that might have been Islamic or had previously been Islamic, to do this together. Um, these happened in rooms all across the city, uh, homes all across the city that week, where, where people got to get together and, and eat a meal together and sit on the floor and, and be just like they would be doing uh, in, in a culture that maybe wasn't predominantly the United States. I actually stumbled across a tweet, and it'll be on the screen, of mine that from, from, I don't have the date on there, but it's from like 2018, I think. It says, tonight I'm in a room full of dudes studying the Word of God, representing six countries and three continents, seven languages, having journeyed close to 30,000 miles to get here. Why God chose to preview heaven in the family he's established at Com City Church, I don't know, but I sure am grateful. And the truth is, is this wasn't a single event. You know, I see Paul and Heidi sitting out there. This happened in their living room for so many, so many nights, so many days, so many weeks, so many months. Um, I, I, I've had the opportunity to stand on a mountain in Tennessee at a retreat of international students and pray alongside a young man from China who was the only child born in his family, and he lived about 8,000 miles from his family, and he'd come to, to the knowledge of who Jesus is uh, and a saving knowledge of who Christ is, and he was weeping on the top of a mountain in, in East Tennessee, and he was saying, my parents live 8,000 miles from me, and I'm their only chance to know Jesus. I'm it. I'm their only chance to know. And I got to pray with him for his family. He got to pray with me for, for the things that were on my heart. I, I got to sit with Justin Pemberton. He was sitting in the front seat of my car. I was driving as we listened to a young man who had recently come to faith in Christ from a Middle Eastern country and had done the hard work of talking to his family, actually sharing the gospel with his family, only for them to disown him, um, and for them to break all and sever all ties with him. And I listened to him talk in the face of rejection from his earthly family about how welcomed he feels in the family of God and how beautiful his belonging is in the family of Jesus. And Justin Pemberton and I, I'm trying like not to wreck as I'm driving down the road sobbing. And he is talking like this is just normal day, everyday life happening in the backseat of, of my car. And we've gotten to see baptisms happen here. There's going to be a couple of them on the screen. We certainly can't Pay tribute. We don't have time today to pray tribute to all of them. There's one more, I believe. And, um, we've seen close to 100 people baptized over the six years we've been together, whether it's in streets of, of neighborhoods, in bathtubs, uh, in swimming pools, in rivers, lakes, and streams, um, or in this room, in random different things that Rubbermaid makes. We've seen people baptized here in our midst and walk dedicated and obedient to Jesus. We've seen it happen planned and looked forward to. We've seen it happen spontaneous as people just want to be obedient to the Lord. We've seen discipleship events happen like this. This is a purpose tea from a few years ago featuring uh, some, some women in our church, both old, older and younger, as we were, and all, everything in between as we gathered together. And this is just one small image of a number of discipleship events that that we've been able to see happen. We've not only seen things like the purpose to happen, but we've seen, we actually have a women's discipleship event today during the second service. We've seen that happen for men. We've seen that happen uh, for kids of all ages, boys and girls, even separately in youth groups. Uh, we've gotten to see things like VBSs or vacation Bible schools or what you would call like a backyard Bible club happen among the international um, dorm community here at the University of Kentucky uh, across campus and be able to take place there. Uh, we've seen that happen in neighborhoods all across our city. And I just have this one photo, but I just want to highlight that. We've seen dozens of children dedicated here over the years. On Mother's Day, we have a tradition of dedicating children to the Lord 
um, and, and hearing just a, a new vision and the championing for the vision of family ministry in our midst, even today, as, as Blake invited us in to do that in a new way of volunteering. And, and the thing for me is I've, is I've gone back and looked, and I didn't pick, you know, we have this photo, we have this exact photo for all the years, right? As I went back and looked at, at the photos of the kids that were dedicated, now they're, they're leading songs, and they're leading Bible studies, and uh, they are walking in incredible truth. And I get to see kids that you know, we're, we're very, like our miracles of Jesus. I mean, every kid's a miracle of Jesus, but some that have been prayed for, for, for an awful long time, and maybe the families were wondering if that was ever going to happen, or, or some that, that were maybe born to another biological family, and the family said, no, I'll, I'll take, if, if that doesn't want you, I'll take you. And we've got to see adoptions and, and all sorts of things happen in our midst. We've got to see literally hundreds of people commissioned here in this altar on Sunday mornings. Um, these are two images of what could be hundreds. We do this practically every single week, whether it's commissioning you all to go. So that's preacher number. That counts as hundreds every week. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, like commissioning you all to go or, or calling in some specific commissionings. We've seen, uh, we've, we've commissioned people to live cross-culturally to South America and to Central America, to Europe, to Africa, to the Middle East, to Central Asia, to East Asia, whether it's for a small season or maybe for their career. We've, we've commissioned long-term cross-cultural engagement. We've commissioned short-term cross-cultural engagement. We've commissioned people to go to Honduras and JR to get in that jiggy alien outfit in 150-degree Honduran weather and almost pass out. You know, we've commissioning a team this week. They're not even going to be here today to do it, to go to India this week happening in our community. We've gone to Honduras multiple times uh, with our church and some other places as well, served there even long-term. We, we've commissioned ministry work from here. You know, people that have actually gone to serve like in a church or in a ministry setting somewhere else. We've also commissioned everyday missionaries from here, which I don't consider to be any different than ministry work. We've commissioned people to go be lawyers and doctors and engineers. We've commissioned people to go be graphic designers and physical therapists. We've commissioned people to go be school teachers, even if it means they're moving away from Lexington. It still means that they're carrying on the work of the Lord. And when I say commission them, I don't mean like they've gotten a note from one of the pastors saying, good luck in your new job. I mean, we've brought them before the church. We've laid hands on them and we say, we recognize your calling is equal to all of our calling to be on mission in the kingdom of God. We've commissioned us every single week to go from here to live life on everyday mission. I think that's my last of the photos. Maybe it is. Is it? That is the last. So you can bring the lights back up for the, for the live stream audience. What's up, audience? Um, I can just continue on by saying that we have thousands over these six years. We've seen thousands of students impacted by leaders that call this place home. From FCA, CSF, CREW, BCM, RUF. Um, we could, it can go on and on and on. Like, we can go on and on and on from the students that they've got to see in Bible studies and dorms, in living rooms, in libraries, uh, among sports teams. Uh, we see families meeting, gathering in our week, every single week, almost every night of the week. I think Saturday, Friday and Saturday might be the only nights that we don't have some gathering among families um, in our family groups every single night of the week. Uh, uh, we see our city bathed in prayer, bathed in prayer. Like we get to participate in a 24-hour prayer movement every single month where we take the first Tuesday of every month, which by the way is next, not like two days from now, but nine days from now, coming up uh, the day after Labor Day where we spend a whole 24 hours uh, in prayer for our city. Um, one of the key elements, I think, one of the key characteristics of our church that I'm the proudest of is how central prayer is to what we do. Um, almost none of the things that we've celebrated was an intentional ministry program. Not Almost none of the things that we've talked about on the screen 
was an intentional ministry program of this church. Almost all of it has come as people have lived with a greater sense of heaven in mind and a greater sense of the burden God is calling them into. And they've walked towards things and invited us to join them. Um, these, these photos weren't dreamed up in a staff room or a conference room at a church. They were dreamed up in cars and living rooms and prayer sessions together. And here's the thing. We expect that to continue. Six years is not about looking backwards. It's about looking forwards. And so the question that we would talk about would be, what things does your heart break for that we want to see 50 more photos of when we get to year 12, when we get, to, when we get farther down the road? Um, we've seen the word of God cherished here. We've seen it taught that way in our gatherings. We've seen it taught that way in our families. We've seen it taught that way in our homes. In fact, one of the things that we did that I, that I love doing as a, collect, as a collection of people is we got to translate the whole book of Hebrews into a language that it's never been translated in, uh, in, in the fall of 2017 into the spring of 2018. We were walking through the book of Hebrews as a community, and we translated the entire, the entire book. Um, you signed up for a verse. Your family signed up for a verse. It was like $15 or $20 a verse. I don't even remember. And that money went directly to the, the scholarship and the translation of that book of the Bible into, into a language that it's never been in before. And now that we, our part, there were 65 other books that had to be translated, but our part um, got to be sent out to a region of the, of the world that didn't have the Bible in its language. We've seen in six years close to $750,000 or three-quarter of a million dollars in missions giving across the world. You guys have been a part of that. Close to three-quarters of a million dollars. We've seen incredible testimonies here of people saved in coffee shops, in dorm rooms, while at work in parks, you name it. I mentioned earlier baptisms in pooled and borrowed churches and bathtubs. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen families established and grown. We've seen children born that felt like absolute miracles and works in the Lord. And these aren't generic testimonies. They're your testimonies. I'm telling your testimonies today. And you've got more to say than even I have time to fit into a sermon. Um, we've cheered on other churches. We've partnered with ministries all over our city and around the world. We've prayed for every student on campus, or some of us have. Um, we've seen that happen. I could go on and on and on. And this is just a small sample, a small sample of the way God has blessed us and called us into kingdom life. We have seen grace and peace multiplied to us. And friends, it has been overwhelmingly good. It has been overwhelmingly good. But we need a lot more of it. And we expect more of it when it comes to the Lord enabling us to fill us, to pursue us with grace and peace as we live on mission for him. In the state of Kentucky, there's four and a half million people most recent statistics are 84% of those people are not in a church on Sunday. Either they're out of fellowship or they're not believers at all. Um, in the Lexington metro area, we have about 520,000 total people, which means that roughly 435,000 people in our city and our region are not part of a faith family, either from total disconnection or disfellowship or a lack of belief altogether. 435,000. Those are your neighbors. These are your coworkers. These are your students. Uh, these are your peers. These are your friends. And mine too. This is us. This is our life. If we were to just make a small dent in that of 1%, if we were to take 84% turn into 83%, right? That would mean that 4,350 new connections to Christ would have to be made to just put a dent in 1% that's currently not engaged in Christian or faith family, or in a Christian faith family. 4,350 new connections to Jesus. At an absolute, like, like a high, highly achieving church. <laughs> that would take uh, roughly 40 church plants, each reaching 100 people, 
those people not coming from another church, but those people that are currently not engaged in a relationship with Jesus. If we were to just move the needle by 1% from this week to next week, we need to plant 40 churches this week and have each one of those churches have 100 people that don't go anywhere else, have never gone anywhere else in their fellowship next Sunday. That's the challenge that's in front of us. And again, these are our friends, and, and this is not even, and this is a reached part of the world. Like we're not even talking about the cities that are like 5 million people that have like five total Christians in them. Those exist too. And we, we are responsible to be broken for both. Statistically, 40 churches this week if we were going to make a dinner. And I'm looking around this room. And I don't know, you might think, I don't look at me to be a church planner, okay? But here's the thing. I'm looking around this room. I don't know. I don't think I see 40 potential church plants. I think I probably see about 80. And they're your address. And they're your home. And they're your family. And I don't expect you to add 100 people this week, okay? I don't expect you to add 100 people to your living room. But what if you added one? What if you added two? What if there were some people on your radar that the home you get to steward, whether it's a dorm room or an apartment or the biggest house on the block, what if the, room, what if the, the roof you got to steward had room for just one more? Had room for one other people to feel like family and to be invited in and to be loved? Or maybe you transplanted your little house and went to theirs and served them um, with hospitality and humility. What if we took on the opportunity to maybe not say, I'm not trying to say that we're all magically, you know, seminary qualified pastors, okay? That, that's not what I'm going for. But that we all are, live at Kingdom Outposts, as citizens, exiles here, that get to engage just enough to bring a few more people with us to the address that we get to permanently live in. What if that were the call in front of us today? How would you factor in that? What would kingdom work look like on your street or in your workplace or in your neighborhood? And what is God asking for you? And this is going to be kind of our, our final question that we look at today. How has grace and peace been multiplied to you? How? How are you grateful for it? And don't just like nod at that. Like make a list. Take a photo of this. Put it on your phone. You know, like how is grace? Talk about this with your kids. How has grace and peace been multiplied to you? Talk about this with your neighbors. Talk about this with those in your accountability group or in your, your roommates with or, or maybe that you meet with during the week. Like how has how grace and peace been multiplied to you? I just gave six or seven photos of how it's been multiplied for us, and I could have given 6,000, but we just gave six or seven. And how are you grateful? It starts there. And the second question is, how should it be multiplied through you and from you? The grace and peace multiplied to you, how should it be multiplied through you? When I say should, don't hear me be a scolding parent. I'm stopping you on the wrist. When I say how should it be multiplied through you, I ask, okay, Lord, if you were going to live your life through me, what would it look like? How, how should my understanding of grace and peace look in my life? How do I live as exiles, members of the kingdom of Christ? Friends, it's been six fun years. We talk all the time at this church about we want us wanting to do things um, that the pastors of this place 100 years from now thank us. We got 94 more to get there. Praise the Lord, I don't think I'll be here for it. But we got 94 more to get there. What things could we do today? How might we be obedient today? How might we be grateful today? How might we be um, multipliers of grace and peace that's multiplied to us but from us uh, to see um, a blessing for the Commonwealth City Church 94 years from now? I love having that on my radar, and I love getting to walk toward it with each and every one of you. As we come to the conclusion of our time, we come to this table and we take it and remember 
uh, his body and blood broken and shed for us. Um, we don't get to be family separate from the work of Jesus. We don't. We don't get to be, we don't get to sing hallelujah separate from the, the, the li- perfect spotless life that went to the cross and was raised anew after his death um, in glorious resurrection. We don't get to sing that or be that outside of what he's done for us. And so we come to the table and we remember and we participate as family together, taking his body and blood and applying it to our lives in an act of remembrance. If you're not a Christian, if you came in today with a friend, if you're checking this out, if you're like, man, he's talking about family and belonging, and I really want that. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's better than juice and wafer. Come and speak with one of us or someone that brought you. Speak with me. Find me. I'd love to introduce you to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, to hear and live and be in connection to the risen and reigning creator of the world. And so come today as we, as we close out. Take, eat, remember. Take, eat, and participate. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this invitation uh, you give us and invite us into to be members of your kingdom. Thanks for blessing us more than we can fathom for six years. And thanks for planning for us um, roads and avenues of redemption that we're yet to walk in for the many years ahead. Uh, Lord, thanks for making us your people when we weren't sworn to people. And Lord, just thank you for your faithfulness. Um, We love you, Jesus.